So if you read Luke chapter 2, you'll come across that familiar Christmas story and there's that proclamation that the angel made to those shepherds. Fear not. I mean, just think about that. If, a shep- if, a, if an angel had appeared to you, you might need to be told to fear not as well. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of, of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It's an incredible announcement. The announcement of, of the birth of Jesus Christ. And, and we ask the question, well, what child is this? Who is the child that was born? Well, the angel gives us part of the answer. He was, he is Savior. But we saw last week another part of the answer. He is fully God. John 1 verse 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And when John says the Word, John is talking about Jesus. He says to us that Jesus was in existence in the beginning. Jesus was in relationship with God, and Jesus was himself God. And then today we come to this truth that Jesus became fully human. So Jesus is Savior. Jesus is God. Jesus is man. And the truth is, we saw this last week, Jesus is the, is the proof that, that God loves us. Right? If you wonder, does God love me? Does God care about me? Is God concerned about me? Just look at Jesus. Jesus is God's emphatic answer to that question. Yes, God does care about us. Yes, God does, in fact, love us. So here in John chapter 1, verse 14, John tells us the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So what John is here telling us is that the eternal word, we saw this last week, the eternal word, the pre-existent word, the word who was involved in the creation of the world, the eternal word became man. The word became flesh and, and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So he was observed, he was seen, he was heard from, they, they heard him teaching, they saw him acting. They saw his glory. So Jesus became human. Paul speaks of this in Philippians 2 when he writes to the church at Philippi. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus is the, 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 the perfect example of humility, the, the, the perfect example of a servant in that here Paul can speak of him as being in the form of God and in human form. He humbled himself. He died on a cross for our sins. So when we look to the Gospels, we see here in John chapter 1 that Jesus was both preexistent and eternal. And as the preexistent eternal one, Jesus became human. He entered into our earthly realm. We can go to Matthew's Gospel chapter 1. We can go to Luke's Gospel chapter 2 and we can read about the birth of Jesus. Luke chapter 2 also tells us about an event in the life of Jesus when he was 12 years old 
when his parents had traveled to Jerusalem, Jesus stayed behind. The parents traveled back. They'd lost Jesus. But outside of the pre-existence and the eternality of Jesus described here in John chapter 1, outside of the birth of Jesus described in Matthew 1 and Luke 2, outside of the event when Jesus was 12 years old described in Luke chapter 2, outside of that, the Gospels give their attention to the final years of the life of Jesus. Jesus did not begin his earthly ministry until he was about 30 years old. So you have a long space of time. You have 30 years of life where outside of his birth that's described and outside of this event when he was 12 years old, we don't have any other reports of what happened in his life. The Gospels give a disproportionate amount of attention to those final years of his life. These years of his earthly ministry, which were just a few short years. But the truth of the matter, as we see through the Gospels, is that Jesus was fully human from conception to birth. From childhood through adulthood, Jesus was fully human as a man. He, he died as a man. He was raised to life as a man. And church, he is still fully human even now. When he ascended into heaven, he ascended as one who was fully human and fully God. So as a human being, Jesus knows what it's like to be human. Right? Every person who is in this worship center is a human being. Every person who's joining us online this morning is, is, is a man or a woman or a child. Right? We, we are human. Jesus became like us. Jesus, the eternal God, became man. What child is this? Yes, we can say he is God, but we can also say with John here, John 1.14, he is man. And in fact, the Gospels tell us about the humanity of Jesus. We see the humanity of Jesus described throughout the Gospels. Jesus experienced life as a, as a human being. He got tired. Do you guys ever get tired? Jesus got tired. In fact, in John chapter 4, just a, a, a few chapters later, John chapter 4, Jesus is journeying through Samaria. And he comes to a well. And in fact, it says in John chapter 4, verse 6, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. Jesus was tired. He'd been on a journey. How many of you get tired after a long road trip? Anybody get really tired? You need a nap? Maybe you're really tired after a Sunday morning service. I don't know. I'm the one standing up here. You're just sitting there, right? There's something about being active, though, right? When I just sit around all day, it's like I'm just tired and draggy. But if I go for a run, which I'm long overdue for one of those, but if I go for a run, I'm active and stuff like that, it's like it's energizing. It, it gives you energy, right? Well, sometimes we get tired. Sometimes we get weary. Jesus got tired. And he sat down there at the well, and then the Samaritan woman comes along, and he asks the Samaritan woman for a drink of water. At the cross, Jesus said, I thirst. He got tired. He got thirsty. Do you know that Jesus slept? He also wept. It rhymes, but he slept. Jesus slept, right? In fact, there's an episode in the life of Jesus where he's on a, on a boat with his disciples, and, and Jesus is asleep. And a great storm comes upon the, upon the sea, and the disciples are, are scared. 
they are evidently fearing for their lives. And so they go and they wake up Jesus and, and Jesus just gets up and he calms the storm. But he was asleep. Jesus got tired. Jesus, he slept. Jesus got hungry. Right? And we can relate to that. We know what it is to be hungry. Right? Jesus got hungry. In fact, in Luke chapter 4, after Jesus was baptized, it tells us that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. Who wouldn't be? Right? He was hungry. He'd been led into the wilderness, and he was being tempted by the devil for 40 days. And when those days were over, he was hungry. He was ready to eat something. Right here in this text, we see Jesus experienced temptation. In fact, if we continue here in Luke chapter 4, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. But here the devil is coming to Jesus after, after 40 days and, and, and the, the devil is tempting him. Jesus is hungry and he says, if you're the son of God, why don't you turn this stone into bread? Well, if this man could forgive sin... If this man could drive demons out of people, if this man could cause a paralytic to walk, if this man could cause the blind to see, if this man could call a man out of the tomb who had been dead for four days, if this man could do all of those kinds of things, do you think he could have turned a stone into a piece of bread? You think Jesus could have instantaneously created for himself this incredible buffet of food? The devil said, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Well, listen to what Jesus says. Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been given to me or it's been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands. They will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Here's the devil quoting scripture to Jesus. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So here the devil is tempting Jesus. He's tempting him to turn a stone into, into bread. He's tempting him to, to, to fall down and to, to worship the devil and then the devil's going to give him something in return. He's, he's tempting him to, to throw himself down that, that the Lord might rescue him. And Jesus responds with Scripture and Jesus responds faithfully. And then it says, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Jesus faced these temptations and he did so without sinning. He did so without giving in to them. And it says the devil departed from him until an opportune time. During his 30 plus years of life, I don't know how many times Jesus was tempted, but I would imagine it was more than just during this episode of 40 days in the wilderness. Jesus as a human being faced temptation during his life. And the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, 
verse 15, he says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus knows what it is to be human. He knows what it is to face temptation. He knows what it is to be tempted to do something that is wrong. He knows what it is to face those enticements to sin. I want you to hear what the writer of Hebrews says. He has been tempted in every respect as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus is like us, church. Jesus is like me and Jesus is like you in that he has experienced temptation. But church, Jesus is unlike me and Jesus is unlike you in that he never, ever, not even once, gave into it. He never sinned. Church, I confess that I've sinned more times than I can count. And I'll go ahead and call all of you folks out as well. You guys have sinned more times than you can count. Right? We've all done it. And yet Jesus, despite being able to relate to us, being being able to say, I know what it is to be tempted, Jesus never, not even once, gave in to such temptations. He never, ever sinned. So what we find in the Gospels is that Jesus was fully human, and we see his full humanity. And what John also tells us here is that the glory of Jesus was, was seen, it was observed. John 1.14 says, we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was someone who could be seen. He was someone that you could reach out and you could, you could touch. When those angels heard the incredible announcement about a Savior who had been born, they traveled to where Jesus was and they they saw Mary and they saw Joseph and they saw the baby lying in that feeding trough. They saw the baby Jesus. When Simeon saw Jesus, he took him up in his arms and and he prayed to God, he blessed God and he said, my eyes have seen your salvation. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, He he looked at him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus could be seen. His actions could be observed. His words could be heard. You could have a conversation with him. Matthew chapter 4 tells us that Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. Jesus is teaching, and Jesus is preaching, and and Jesus is, is healing, and his fame is spreading, and they're bringing him all of these people with all of these problems. And Jesus is more than able to handle every bit of it. And it says great crowds followed him. The opening words to 1 John says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it 
and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. John is writing as one who has heard, seen, looked upon, touched, seen, seen, heard. All of those words in that text. And right here in John 1 he says, we have seen his glory. You see, John's writing as an eyewitness. John's writing as a man who not only is identifying himself, but he's identifying others as people who saw Jesus. We've seen his glory. This word that was with God in the beginning, this word that was what was existing Prior to the creation of this world, this word who was God himself, this word became a human being. We saw him. We've seen him. We've seen his glory. We've seen him full of grace and truth. In the next chapter, Jesus is at a wedding. His mom's there. They've run out of wine. And so his mother comes to him and says, We've run, they've run out of wine. Jesus, his initial response is, what does that have to do with me? But then he goes on and he does it. He, he turns the water into wine. Jesus miraculously transforms this water into wine in an instantaneous moment. And the wine that Jesus makes is better than the wine they ran out of. And John tells us this. John says this, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. By turning the water into wine, Jesus manifested or revealed his glory. When Jesus gets word of Lazarus being ill, Jesus says to his disciples, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So this is when Jesus gets word of Lazarus being sick. Jesus is not physically present. In fact, Jesus doesn't just pack up and leave for where Lazarus is immediately. No, he stays where he is a little bit longer. But Jesus says, this isn't going to end in death, but rather it's for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Well, Lazarus dies. And at the tomb of Lazarus, John's gospel tells us, then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Now Martha had previously said to him, Lord, if you had been here, if you had just gotten here sooner. Jesus told her, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even if he dies, he shall live. Well, here's Jesus at the tomb, and, 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 and Jesus weeps in this episode. He's got human emotion. He weeps. And Martha protests when Jesus says, take away the stone. Martha protests. She says that, that, that he's been dead for four days. There'll be an odor. But Jesus responds, and he says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God. And Jesus proceeds to call out that man, Lazarus. 
And that man who'd been dead for four days comes out of that tomb. And those who were there who, who could see with eyes of belief, they saw the glory of God. They saw the glory of God revealed in Jesus. John says we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So what child is this? Well, he's one who is fully human. And he's one who can help us with whatever we may be dealing with today. He is one who fully understands, who fully grasps what it is to be human. He understands our frailty. He understands that we get tired. He understands that that we get weary. He understands that we get hungry. He understands that we get thirsty. He understands that we are tempted. He understands sorrow. He understands grief. He understands. In fact, Jesus knows what it is to be fully human. He was rejected. In fact, John tells us right here in John 1, he says, He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. John 1, verse 11. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Jesus knows what it is to be rejected. Have you ever experienced rejection? Jesus knows what it is to be rejected. Isaiah the prophet said this about Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Jesus knows what it is to be betrayed. You ever heard of Judas Iscariot? He was one of the twelve. I mean, just think about this. Jesus, during his earthly ministry, chose twelve men to be his apostles, to be his disciples. Twelve. I mean, that's an exclusive club. I mean, you think about that. Of all the people that Jesus could have selected, he chose 12. 12 people who got to hang out with the God-man. 12 people who had access. 12 people who were given a seat at the table. And one of those 12 betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. He betrayed him with a kiss. He knows what it is to be betrayed. He knows what it is to be abandoned. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. When Jesus was arrested, his disciples fled. He knows what it is to be denied. Peter, the apostle Peter, the one who said, I'll never deny you. Not once, not twice, but three times. Three times denied association with Jesus. When the heat was on, and things looked really, really bad. Jesus had been arrested. And Peter was being interrogated about his associations with Jesus. He denied him. Jesus knows what it is to be denied. He knows what it is to experience sorrow. Jesus grieved. Jesus was in anguish in the Garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross. He even prayed to the Father, if it's possible for this cup to pass from me. He experienced death. Anybody afraid of death? Jesus has experienced death. He knows what it is to die. 
Right, the same gospel writer who tells us that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the same gospel writer who tells us the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, the same gospel writer is going to tell us in John chapter 19 that on the cross Jesus cried out, it is finished, and then he breathed his last. He died. That's what happens to human beings. We die. All of us have this little clock, this little invisible clock. We got so much time left. Only God knows. I don't know. You don't know. Maybe it's a long period of time. Maybe it's a short period of time. But it's a finite amount of time. Jesus died. He knows what it is to be human. And so because of all this, church, Jesus can help us. Jesus can help us. Jesus knows what it is to be us. He knows what it is to be a human being. He is like us in so many ways. He is unlike us, though, in that he never, ever sins. He is unlike us in that he alone is Savior. He is like us in that he's human, but he is unlike us in that he is fully God. But he can help us, church. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18, here's what the writer says. Because he himself suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now, this is encouraging to us because here the writer of Hebrews is, is telling us that because Jesus suffered when, when he was tempted, he's able to help us who are being tempted. In church, there's all kinds of things that may tempt us. There's things that tempt me that don't tempt you. There's things that tempt you that don't tempt me. There may be some things that tempt your spouse that don't tempt you. And there's things that tempt you that don't tempt your spouse, right? I mean, there's things that tempt us. It may be something we see. It may be something that, that comes across that screen. It may be something we hear. It may be somebody we're around. It may be a situation, a circumstance. It may be a substance. There's a lot of baked goods this time of year, right? Maybe you're tempted to overindulge, right? Maybe you're tempted to, to, to have too many cookies or have too many pieces of cake or too many, too many of those Christmas tree cakes. You know those little Christmas tree cakes? I don't know. Maybe, maybe they were made last Christmas and they're bringing them out this year. I don't know. But we're tempted, right? Sometimes we're tempted with things that we might think aren't that big of a deal, but they can become a big deal, right? Because they might control us. Jesus knows what it is to face temptation, right? Now, that doesn't mean that every single experience you and I have ever had, that Jesus had that exact same experience, but Jesus knows what it is to be tempted. And so, therefore, he can help us, whatever it is we're facing. And church, the news flash is this. Every single one of us faces temptation. Every one of us. Right? Every one of us. And that doesn't mean we all face it in the same way, but every single one of us faces temptation, and every single one of us sin. And we may have struggles of varying degrees, and the truth is Jesus can help us. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 and following says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. 
Let us hold fast our confession. In other words, we have in the heavens... One who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. We have a great high priest. We have one who makes intercession for us before the Father. Paul said to Timothy, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus, the man, is our mediator with God. So the writer of Hebrews says, since we have this great high priest... Let's hold fast our confession. Let's hold on to our faith. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. This is encouraging to us. The one born in Bethlehem, the one placed in the manger, the one that was proclaimed by the angel to the shepherds, The child who became a man, who died on a cross for our sins and was raised from the dead, he is a high priest who can sympathize with us, who can relate. So based on this, the writer of Hebrews says, let us then with confidence Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Church, we can confidently approach our God. And we can know that as we approach our God, as we approach the throne of grace, that we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help us in our time of need. In the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our difficulties, in the midst of our temptations, in the midst of our depression, in the midst of our sadness, in the midst of our loss, in the midst of our feelings of rejection, of abandonment, whatever it is we may experience, we can go confidently before our God in heaven knowing that Jesus Jesus can and He will help us. There's nothing too hard. There's nothing too big. There's nothing too difficult. Right? This time of year is a time of, uh, of excitement, right? Kids get excited. Adults can get excited because the kids get excited, right? There's excitement. There's, there, there, there's all kinds of wonderful things that we associate with Christmas. I got great memories of Christmas, right? My parents made Christmas great. My family made Christmas great. It was a great time for us as a family to be together. And I think the reason why I love Christmas and the reason why I love the traditions and the, and the decorations and the things that go with Christmas is because I had a great experience of Christmas as a child. Well, both my parents are still living. My only sibling is still alive. But we're not going to live forever. Right, eventually, there's going to be some loss. Right, it may be that they lose me. It may be that I lose them. So for some people, when they think of Christmas and they think of memories and they think of the past, they may think of the people who they have those great memories with and they look around their house and they're no longer there. And so it's a time of great sadness. It's a time of, it's a time of, of, of sorrow. Maybe a loved one died during the Christmas season. No matter what I'm facing, no matter what you're facing, no matter what may come our way, Jesus can 
And Jesus will help us. This child is one who is fully able, fully able to handle whatever we may be facing today. And this morning, I want to encourage you, if you've never put your faith in Christ, I want to encourage you to trust in him today. He is Savior. When the angel announced to those shepherds, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, the Savior Jesus wasn't just for those shepherds. The Savior Jesus wasn't just for the nation of Israel. The Savior Jesus was for all of us. And this morning, if you will turn from your sin and you will put your faith in Jesus Christ that he died for your sins, he was raised from the dead, the God of heaven will forgive you and save you. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John tells us right here, he came into his own and his own received him not, but to all who did receive him. Verse 12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The God of heaven who gave his son Jesus so long ago will save your soul if you'll put your trust in him today. And I want to encourage all of us, believers, church family, as we approach Christmas Eve, I want to encourage all of us to take these little invite cards and let's reach out and invite someone. You just don't know the power of an invite. There are people who are a part of the First NSB family today because someone invited them. God used a simple invite. And through that simple invite, God brought them into this church. Don't underestimate a simple invite. Now, you may be saying, yeah, but Luke, I've invited people before. I've given them these little cards before, and they didn't show up. Well, guess what? I have too, and they didn't show up. But some, some have. Some have. And so I want to encourage you to pray. And go knock on that next door, that neighbor's house next door. Go knock on that door of the neighbor who's not very nice to you. Pray hard before you go. And invite them. Right? Go to the, go to the cubicle next to you at work. Right? Call that friend up. Send that text message. But invite them. And you never know, somebody may be in the pit of despair, they may be dealing with sadness, they may be battling depression, they may be facing loss, they may be dealing with all kinds of stuff. You know that person who's not very nice to you? There's no telling all the stuff that they got going on that you don't know about. Maybe that cashier who you think was, was short with you, or that waitress or that waiter who you thought could have been a better waiter or a better waitress, or maybe that person who works out in the, in, in the store or, or in retail who you thought, you know, they really need some, they need to work on some customer service. Maybe rather than getting all bent out of shape about it, maybe you think, you know, maybe something's going on there. Just be nice. Maybe extend that invite. You never know how God could use a simple invite to have an incredible impact because I'm hoping and I'm going to be praying that on Christmas Eve, when we gather as a church family at 4 o'clock, 5.30, and 7 o'clock, that every man, woman, and child who sets foot in this worship center, who joins us online, that they will hear very clearly that there is hope. In the midst of COVID-19, there is hope. 
In the midst of whatever is going on in their life, there is hope. In the midst of loss, in the midst of, 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 of whatever you're facing, there is hope. And there is salvation in Jesus. And some of us, myself included, we need to be reminded of the simple and glorious message of Christmas. Jesus is the proof that God does love us. The message of Christmas, God loves us. He has acted for our good. He has given us the greatest gift, Jesus. Let's receive him ourselves, but let's be sure to share him with others.